Joanna Hawk, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to Radio Stadtfilter about your films. You are currently visiting Switzerland and are presenting The Souvenir Part 2 alongside your previous films. How do you like it in Switzerland? You have already been here several times, right? I've been here several times over the years from beginning when I was four years old. I first came to Switzerland, but I'm coming to cities uh, that I haven't been to before. So I haven't been to Winterthur before. This is the first time and I just arrived uh, one and a half hours ago. <laughs> so even more than with other directors, I have the feeling that in your films, the locations play a key role be it on the Tuscan vacation home in Unrelated, the modernist house in Exhibition, or the beautiful but rough nature of the Isle of Scilly in Archipelago. Do I say it right? Archipelago. There's different ways of saying it. (laughs) (laughs) Can you explain a little bit how you choose these locations? And where in Switzerland could you imagine shooting a future film? Oh, I like that question. I I mean, for me, the, the, the place I make the film is the most important thing. And it's uh, often, uh, I think maybe with nearly all the films, it's been the first decision I've made where to shoot the film. Um, And it's Mm. almost like the place has chosen me rather than the other way around. And uh, (laughs) I mean, when I'm not to go through all the films, uh, but with Unrelated, um, I already knew the place in Italy. I'd been there. Um, I've been to Italy for over many years and and I feel a real affinity with the country. Um, But I'd been renting a flat on the land where I ended up setting the film and I mm-hmm. and I was writing uh, it was my first feature film and I was writing not knowing exactly where it was going to go but I was just so inspired by this place where I was writing I decided to set the story there ah okay and a location in Switzerland you ah. would choose uh, well I, I'm still getting to know it I mean I've been here uh, this is my fourth day I think I've yeah. lost track because I've been in a different town or city every day and it feels like I've been here for weeks already um, and I've liked each place I've been to, uh, so I don't think I could choose yet. I think I have to get to know a place uh, a bit better before I decide, because it, the the yeah, it's all about some kind of personal connection, um, some feeling of not just the place but the people. So I couldn't really say that just after this short time. <laughs> yes, of course, yeah. So in the face of the dominant streaming providers, you almost have an atypical career at the moment. You first worked on a few TV series and then you switched to feature films. In an interview, you once said, I wanted to make a film doing everything I was told not to do in television. Can you elaborate a bit on how this change came about and what exactly you wanted to venture into with feature films? Yes. Well, I never intended to start making television um, because I went to film school where I was very much uh, passionate about cinema and immersed in cinema and had these very ambitious ideas of films that I wanted to make. And then the reality was I was still in my 20s. Um, I was about 26, I think, when I graduated from film school. And I had these ambitious ideas, like I say, but I, I, I didn't have the means, I didn't have the experience to to make these Uh, elaborate ideas yet and and there was a point where I I remember thinking to myself I need to get more experience working with actors uh, working with crews things that I didn't have enough experience of when I was at film school Um, so I I thought well I'll I'll go and work in television for maybe a few months or a year and not realizing it was going to be I haven't counted actually, but at least 12 years anyway, making television. So it was it was sort of against my will. I was, you know, mm-hmm. cinema was, was always the passion. 
and uh, and then there was just a certain point after these 12 years um, where I was making a television series. I was d directing a series in Wales. Um, and I remember thinking, this is not enough. I'm working from a script that I didn't write from ideas that I don't have any personal connection with. I've got to do something that I feel perf personally uh, invested in. And then, uh, and then it was uh, maybe a year later or something, I started writing Unrelated. So I, it, it was always the plan. It just took a lot longer to get there. And, 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 and now, as you say, television is the thing, um, more than cinema. And I still feel uh, I don't want to go back into television. I know it's changed a lot from the time when I was working, making series, um, but I don't trust it. <laughs> um, I don't trust... Uh, how the the sort of hierarchy of how it works as a director i'm not sure you have the same power that you have when you're making a feature film it's a writer's medium still mm -hmm. i think and although mm -hmm. i write my own work i'm 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 not yes I'm, i don't feel driven to make a long running series or or just work in this in this slightly more industrial way i think Mm -hmm. The that lack of experience which you talked about is that also something that you that you depict with Julie in the souvenir at the beginning or in both movies a little bit. You, she's sometimes a bit insecure or there's this lack of experience. Is this something that you picked up there in these movies from that? It was definitely something I thought about and something I discussed with Honor, who hadn't uh, directed anything herself, so she was trying to glean yeah. from from me how how it is that you direct something and and how it is you direct something when you're at film school and still learning. So I, I was really interested in going back to that time of uncertainty um, and, and you know, where you're feeling your way through uh, an, a new me medium. Um, at, but I'm not sure. I always think when I, when I set out to make a project that it's going to be very like uh, the thing I experienced if it's something based on, on something I happened to me. But in the end, it always becomes something else and honor brings so much to to that mm -hmm. story and so I wouldn't say it's necessarily a faithful uh, rendition of, of my time at film school. Okay, yeah. So Tilda Swinton is a childhood friend of yours as well as a close companion of your career, right? So when she starred in the souvenir, souvenir with her daughter Honor, she was already a big star. How is the collaboration sorry, for you and what does she bring to your films? Yes. Well, well, as you say, I've known her many years and uh, and yet since we've known each other, she's been in so many films, collaborated with so many directors, got so much experience. But it's a credit to Tilda that she is able to be in a project and working uh, with the cast and the crew and, and uh, in a very ungrand way, in a very she really she really mucks in with all of us. She's she's just so interested in the process and the ideas that are being explored. And and uh, we hadn't worked together for 30 years. The last thing we'd done together was my graduation film from yeah. film school, um, when she was still at university. And uh, I don't know why, I can't explain why, but we hadn't worked together for all that time. So it was an incredible pleasure when we worked together on The Souvenir. And um, Obviously, uh, her daughter's in the film, but that wasn't originally part of the plan. In fact, I cast Tilda before I cast Honor. Ah, interesting. In the, in, okay. in, 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 the, in the first part, 
and uh, that which was not intended. I mean, it, it, it was a strange thing to do to cast Rosalind before Julie, <laughs> but it uh, anyway. In the end, it, it, it all worked out, and and with hindsight, I think, well, how could it have been any other way than than Tilda and Anna working together? And, and Honor being someone who'd never acted in a film before, this was her first work in front of the camera. And working together on the set uh, with Tilda and Honor and everybody else, it, it, it wasn't, uh, I don't think that the relationship they have with each other, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't any kind of blueprint for the relationship they have in the mm-hmm. film because the, in, the, in the film, Rosalind is from a very different generation. Um, is very uh, res- quite reserved and, and and not physically demonstrative, um, and her, and uh, her relationship with Julie, you know, they're both they're not uh, embracing each other all the time. Whereas Honor and Tilda have a very different, much more physically uh, demonstrative relationship. So differences like that, I think, helped in a way because then they were able to separate from their own role as mother and daughter. So of each other. do you think that was helpful, helpful for Honor to act the first time or was it maybe a little bit more difficult to act with her own mother in a, in a picture? I don't think it didn't. It seemed to me from the outside that she had any difficulty at all. She was just so she so naturally yeah. fell into the story and she didn't know how the story was going to unfold because she never saw a scenario. So she was really feeling her way through scene by scene and we were shooting in story order. I, I, I shoot chronologically, which gives us all a lot more freedom because I can change the story as we're going along. And then Honor is in a way living and breathing the story um, as we as we proceed through the shoot. So it, it, it gives a feeling, yeah, it gives a greater feeling of some kind of reality that we create. What you say here about the script brings us right to the next questions. Um, when I watch your films, they seem carefully composed and rehearsed for me, the first impression. A bit like Stanley Kubrick, maybe, who sometimes shot a scene like 70 times before he thought it was right. But but you work a lot with improvisation, right? Like Mike Lee, for example, who also doesn't have a detailed script. So sometimes I think a little bit of a wild mixture of both of them. Um, what do you think about this? This, am I barking up the wrong tree? Can you tell us a bit more about your approach to actors and how you work with scripts? Yeah, well, no, I don't. I think, uh, well, I like what you say that 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 it doesn't feel uh, the films don't feel improvised because actually I have a of a horror horror, but I I I don't like uh, to create a feeling of improvisation. I don't want it to seem that like it's being made up as we go along mm-hmm. which which it isn't in fact so it is it is this strange mixture and I can't really explain it myself because it just happens and it happens to do it's the chemistry of the people that I'm working with and everybody's contribution together but uh, it, it is it is uh, it's somehow we have a or I create this very precise map uh, around the project so we we can't just go off in any direction there's a very clear Yeah, very clear map of, of what we're doing and what the story is that we're telling. But within that, there's so much uh, freedom to discover and change ideas, change the storyline. Uh, it's um, so it's it, it is this mixture of something very precise and something very uh, a bit chaotic. 
Okay, but it's not like you are developing with the actors like a story, something that is also what other directors sometimes are doing. So this is it not. Okay, no, that's true. Because yeah. Mike Lee works in a very different yeah. way. He he works, I think, from what I understand, for many months uh, developing mm -hmm. the scenario with the actors. So they're writing with him in a mm -hmm. sense. I don't do any of that preparation with my actors other than write the the, the, the scenario in my own way. Um, which means it's not a conventional screenplay, but it's like a short story that I write. Mm -hmm. And then I'm th then the actor's contribution happens. They're writing a, a lot of the dialogue as we're... I mean, they're not physically writing it, but when I say writing it, it, it the, the dialogue is coming out of the situations. So I'm, 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 I'm creating a situation in which the, the, the actors and the non-actors sometimes uh, are... Um, are, are telling the story mm. in in their own words yeah um but then th there are exceptions to that uh where i will write uh some dialogue that has to be that exact dialogue so there are it's it, it yeah there is a, a, a can you give us an example for that maybe from the souvenir or souvenir part two where you have like an exact dialogue which was so important for you yes uh for example when um Uh, Rosalind gets the telephone call at the end of part one to say that, uh, well, I don't know if I'm, I'm maybe giving thing too much away. Yeah, anyway, maybe if it's, it's too much, it's, it's a dramatic It's a dramatic moment. I won't yeah. say what happens. But anyway, uh, Rosalind, Julie's mother, gets a telephone call and what she says in reaction to that telephone call to Julie and then how she explains this, this call uh, uh, was... Very important that it was those exact words. It's also an incredibly strong dialogue there. It's so intense. It's really, yeah, ah, interesting. So maybe um, Mike Lee is also a good bridge to my next question. He's known for his films about the British working class. The Guardian once called you the director of the British middle class. Do you agree with that label? I see it with your expression, no. Uh, well, I don't like labels, full stop. <laughs> and, and I'm not very uh, keen on that label. Uh, because I think it paints a particular portrait of what I do, and I hope it's not as straightforward as that. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm and I'm uh, I, I'm I'm interested in human behaviour, but I don't think my interest just remains with one strata of society. I'm interested in in everybody. Uh, anybody, uh, I, I don't. Yes, I, 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 I resist. But that your label. protagonists often are from the middle class, right? But you want to tell more universal stories. So how how do you should I understand it? Well, uh, yes. Uh, I mean, it's a good question. Uh, how how can I explain it? I suppose I initially, when starting to make films and with Unrelated, which I've mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, my first feature film, I was very much um, keeping to something I knew. And I can't hide the fact of growing up in a mi middle class uh, family in a particular way and, 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 you know, with some of the privileges that gives you. So I can't, uh, I can't, you know, lie about that. I, I'm not, I'm not someone who tries to pretend there's something they're not. And so in my films, I'm equally honest in a way. Um, but it, but it, but what it belies, the the certainly. I don't think it's the case with all the films that they they are just stuck with this middle class. But uh, but it belies my interest in 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 humanity in a way. 
uh, it sounds a bit grand, but I, I'm, I'm just so interested in all stories and, and, and maybe it's also a confidence thing of, of keeping with what you know. It's that classic thing of when you're you know, starting out making work, often people say, you know, just keep, keep, keep to what you know and that will, that will uh, help you. And, uh, and it's certainly true by, by making stories about something that you know inside out that you can get down to, to uh, a precision and a detail there that, uh, you know, I have to imagine in somebody, you know, if I'm telling something in somebody else's shoes. But I think with the souvenirs, actually, I'm not, uh, there are many characters and they're not all the same. They're not all from the same background. And I, 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 I feel that in people watching the films, they, they tend to just be seeing Julie and her immediate family, but actually around Julie are many different different people. And, and so I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not meaning to sound like I'm apologizing either. It's, I suppose it's just a little bit of frustration uh, in myself. And yeah, there's, there's so many more stories I want to tell and they won't all be about middle class people. So maybe one last question to this middle class topic in a way. But there's often a bleak view of the bourgeoisie in your films, I think. Somewhat simplified, the word, the word crisis applies to many of the characters and narratives. Is this an intentional focus or how did this emphasis come about in your films? Now about the crisis for the people and this. Yes, yes, yes. Will you remind me? Because in, in what I was just saying just now, I, I, I felt like I sort of simplified The, my answer was quite simple in a way, and I and and actually um, I I grew up in this you know in a, in a middle class family, but I never felt comfortable in the milieu that I grew up in, and I was very much in the role in my, within my family. I was the I was very much observing um, behavior around me, and and I suppose that's the beginning of where I became fascinated in 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 a certain type of family or person um, because I was looking at them from afar but 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 uh, not uncritically at all in fact sometimes you know sort of horrified and uh, and, and and but also uh, uh, also observing just the difficulty people have in communicating communicating their feelings um, dealing with situations difficult situations that come up I I, 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 I yeah I spent a lot of time because I was very shy. Um, as a child and so I, I was but I was I was always watching in a way um, so uh, it's it's uh, so I felt I didn't feel part of a tribe and maybe that's the other thing that I that I don't don't accept with open arms this you know that I'm somehow owning this strata of society within my films because I don't feel part I don't necessarily feel part of that herd you know that 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 group actually myself I've, I've, I feel like an outsider I don't feel like I'm part of I, I, I don't know what yes I'm not part of anything e e even to the extent of not feeling entirely part of the country that I grew up in I feel like I see things in a in a wider way than that it's really interesting what you say right now because the next question from me is like do you see yourself in some kind of tradition of British cinema so do you feel part of any kind of tradition in in British cinema, or is this mm. not a question which interests you? Or? Well, it's not that it doesn't interest me. Yeah. It's just that I don't think I feel I don't think I feel part of any uh, any any um, yeah style or or, or 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 type of British cinema. 
Um, and maybe, yes, I don't know how. Yes, I know my subjects are often uh, very British and I am interested in that, you know, looking at characters from the country I grew up in. But uh, no, I wouldn't. I don't think I feel. Or maybe part. you feel close to some some British directors or filmmakers, which are big. I think there's some Powell and Pressburg, of course, in Souvenir Part Two, which really y yeah. some traces of it. Right. Yes. I, I think I feel more uh, connected. It's true with with some filmmakers, British filmmakers from the past. And Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburg are definitely Uh, two filmmakers that uh, I absolutely love, and and I love the 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 anarchic, the anarchy of their work in a way. That and they they well they well Pressburger was Hungarian, so he felt very much an an outsider himself, and Powell was British, and somehow this combination of the in the 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 the, the British and the Hungarian, the different perspectives uh, are just so interesting and. And end up they ended up creating work that does feel so inherently British in a way. Yet, 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 yet it wasn't. Uh, so I find that really fascinating. I'm often interested in filmmakers who uh, come from another country to make a film. Might be in Switzerland or UK or anywhere, but they've come from Chile or they've come from uh, um, Brazil or you know. And then and then it's their eyes on that uh, that culture. So I think that's something that connects actually with something that I'd be quite interested to do, maybe not next, but in the future, is is make a film in a culture that I don't know or even understand maybe, but would come to understand through making a film there. So there's maybe a, still a chance for Switzerland that you find a location here. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe what fascinates me nearly the most about your films is that the dramatic climax often sneaks up on the viewer in a sense, I think. For example, in Unrelated with the collapse of the protagonist or even hides itself for me sometimes as an exhibition. That was my impression at some point. What do you think about this observation? You also said in the conversation on Monday at Xenix, I'm not interested in story arcs. Maybe there's also like some connection with that. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, no, maybe. Do you mind just expla just uh, explaining it uh, uh, again? Uh, the, the first part. The, with the, the first part. Yeah, the, yeah, the first part. With I hiding, I sometimes mean it's like, it's like it's not that obvious or it's not that the story is, is going the direction of a clear climax and the clear dramatic climax. It's really, it sneaks on or even hides in a way. An exhibition for me, I think the, the whole dramatic climax is in this scene with the birthday cake for me in some way. Yeah, yeah, or yeah. There, yeah. It shows, there is the break, there's the cut of, of that couple. And it's really, for me, there is, it's hidden. In in a way, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I, I I I completely understand what you mean, and and I and I and I know that I do consciously sometimes want to avoid a, a classic story arc, or, or 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 I'm not interested in in going. It's not even that the idea occurs to me actually, but I'm I'm not I'm I'm not. It's plot. I think I have a problem with where <laughs> where where it's not about character. It's much more about events happening, and then the characters. Are sort of participating in this plot. I don't know. There's something that I that I'm interested in. Um, it's not so much subtlety, but there's, there's just so many strange things that happen in life and and turns that are unexpected or surprises. And 
So I'm, 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 yes, I'm just so interested in, maybe it's like a, I don't know, I'm just sort of imagining it as an image, but it's like a, the sort of events and things that are going on in the, sur on the surface, but then there's other stories beneath that, that are sometimes more subtle and less visible, but I'm always interested in these hidden stories in a way, because I think they're still stories. I, I, I think I'm telling stories, but not necessarily the story you might expect. Yeah, for example, like in Souvenir Part 2, I found it so fascinating. You have the, the guy in the snakeskin jacket. Is that also like a little reference to Marlon Brando or am I going too far? Uh, uh, maybe. Or and even also Nicolas David Cage. Lynch. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and also snakes, which I'm interested in. But yeah. <laughs> so there is also, you could think that there could the relationship develop between the two, but no, it's that simple short moment and then it's over, you know. That's yes. also playing with expectations, right, from the, from the viewer. It, it's true, it's true. But I had very much in mind that uh, part one would be about a single relationship the whole film is really about uh, two people um, uh, and a re the relationship they have together and then in part two I'm really wanting to be careful not to give too much away but yeah. in part two <laughs> it, it was uh, someone moving through different relationships and, uh, and not wanting it to be formed yes by, by, by the story to be formed by one re relationship I mean not even that I didn't want it to be that but it it, it it couldn't be that. It had to be something different, maybe a little bit more episodic in a way. Yeah. So because of the static camera, the precise staging and the long dialogues, your work is often compared to Japanese filmmaker Ozu, for example, or even the Nouvelle Vogue filmmaker Eric Romer. Sometimes your shots also seem like paintings to me. So you surely know the famous quote from author Pan's Night Moves. Do you know it? Uh, no, remind me. <laughs> and there Gene Hackman says, I saw a Romer film once. It was kind of like watching paint dry. Yeah, yeah. Asked with the utmost respect and much admiration, why is it important in your films to sometimes watch the paint dry? Yeah, it's funny. I watched Night Moves uh, recently, uh, <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I probably, uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I probably took that line quite seriously. I'm really, uh, uh, yeah, not wanting to well, I think I'm, I'm, uh, I've reached a stage where I've fallen out of love a little bit with keeping the camera so still. And with part two, I definitely move the camera more. It's more mobile. But uh, it was probably a reaction, talking about television again, when I worked in television, I was forced to move the camera all the time. The, the, the producers, the executive producers were obsessed with movement and, and not wanting the audience to get bored. And so then when I came to make my own films, I wanted something a bit calmer. And, and uh, yeah, and it's true. I love the work of Ozu, but I, I wouldn't even begin to compare myself with his work. But um, there was, yeah, there was a stage that I went through of... Uh, really liking Japanese films and uh, and just films that were yeah uh, more patient in a way and just allowed things to happen within the frame and when I was shooting Unrelated it was like a, a, a second film school for me in a way I was I learned to see things differently and um, when we were preparing for the film I wrote a conventional script but then I realized when we were shooting I was just much more interested in what was going on in front of me so I discarded a lot of what I'd written, and then the act, you know, the actors would um, come up with lines in, in uh, themselves, and and then and and then I realized, yeah, I wanted to just watch these 
characters within the frame and because I grew up on Hollywood musicals I loved the way that certain musicals would keep the camera quite far away so you could see the person from head to toe and I just think I'm just so interested in in gestures so you you know I'm looking at you now I'm you know taking in your your shoes and you know it, 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 how, how we move in space is so interesting. Mm -hmm. So that's quite fascinating. So, so you take something from Hollywood musicals, which are completely different in style, and and put it into something completely new, right? Yes, I mean I don't know how new, but it felt new, yeah. or it, or or I felt it. Yeah, I was inspired by uh, that idea. Is it also a question of rhythm for you? Uh, it's a lot about rhythm. I mean, I realized that uh, all the films that I've made are, are uh, musicals in a way. I, I mean, maybe other people wouldn't see them like that. But I, in the way that I work with the editing, I work with this wonderful editor. She's worked on every film that I've shot. Uh, she's from Denmark um, called Hella Lefebvre. And she and I have this kind of dance together when we work. And it's, 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 it's all about rhythm. But it's also about rhythm when I'm shooting in terms of the movement and the pace of the scene and a scene that might be quick and another scene that might be slower and just the, the whole development of a, of a story and the shooting and then the editing. And then, of course, there is the actual sound. And again, I work with a sound designer who's worked with me from since making Unrelated. And it's wonderful to have these collaborators who we've now worked together for about 16 years and we know each other so well. And it means we can go so much deeper into the work and explore new ideas. And I've just finished um, a new film, another film since uh, The Souvenir Part Two. And, uh, you know, again, we're trying out uh, ideas of... of of rhythm and uh, image and in different ways. Anyway, it's it's hard to describe, but it's 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 very exciting. Interesting that you that you mentioned the sound because I think that's also something quite special in your movies, right? It's not simply realistic sound that you use. Sometimes you really block out all the environment sound. Sometimes you really try to. Um, um, put the focus on some sound effects. For example, at the beginning of Archipelago, I think it's really interesting. So. How do you play with that? What, what's your intention behind this sometimes? Well, I, I, I don't even know if there's an intention. There's just an interest uh, I have and Jovan, the sound designer I work with, is incredible. I mean, there's just an interest I have in, in, in sound every day. I mean, I arrived here this afternoon uh, on a train and I hear the sounds are much softer here. I've just come <laughs> from uh, Bern. I mean, I, I'm very aware of, or if I'm on a train, I'll, 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 well, like all of us, you know, you hear different levels of sound and you can tune in and out of birdsong or, or, or an engine running. Or, and I, I, I just, uh, I, I, yes, I'm just so interested to get these layers, these sort of sonic layers in my films and, I, and to treat the sounds like music. And, and I think exhibition out of all my films, uh, we we created music out of everyday sounds. We were shooting in a house uh, where, um, not intentionally, but there was a next door house that was having scaffolding put up. And at first we thought, how <laughs> earth are we going to be able to shoot a film with dialogue when we've got a house where the scaffolding is uh, being put up? And we couldn't say to the workman, you know, can you just stop while we're filming? So we had to live with it. And then, of course, it becomes part of the uh, the story and part of the the soundscape. Um, so it's the it's those sort of ideas that, that that are interesting. And and then now I'm I've avoided using too much music in the first few films because music is so powerful. 
uh, too powerful in a way. I feel you have to use it very carefully. But in the film that I've just finished, there's a lot of music. Um, but it's also the music is combined with sounds. Again, it's all set uh, within a house, a very different kind of house from in the other films. And it's a ghost story. And, and of course, ghost stories, well, ghosts, well, there's so much sound in a ghost story, or anyway, in, in this particular one. Ah, so I'd like to go a bit more into detail about each of your films. So um, maybe one of the first questions I would like to ask is um, Tom Hiddleston is now famous for numerous Marvel films and, and other movies, but he took his first steps on the big screen in one, of, in one of your movies, right, in Unrelated. So how did you come across him? Uh, the casting director I was working with had seen him in uh, a, a play at uh, drama school. He, it was his graduation play. Not, not that he wrote the play, but he was acting in a, in a play. At, at drama school and uh, she was you know she's someone as a casting director goes and spots new talent and just said he was really remarkable in this play I never got to see this particular play but then uh, he um, he came to see us uh, to talk not for an audition because actually since working in television I'm not really keen on auditions as sort of too formal and you don't necessarily get an idea of a person From an, from an audition but anyway he came to see us and uh, he dressed in shorts he dressed like he was just <laughs> going off on holiday anyway very clever he obviously thought about how he should dress <laughs> for playing this part of a, of a, a young man on holiday in Italy and uh, anyway he won us over and he was uh, um, yeah and, and he really did come on holiday uh, because he, he the, the role he played uh, I mean I'm not expecting uh, anyone listening to this will have necessarily seen the film but But he, uh, it, you know, there's quite a dark side to his character. Um, yet Tom, uh, when he first saw the finished film, couldn't believe how different it was to what he felt he was participating in. It was just much darker than he'd imagined. And he wrote me a letter, in fact, uh, saying uh, what, what he, his feelings of what, watching the film for the first time and that he he's thought, he, yeah, his character... He, which is a good thing. He completely believed in his character, didn't necessarily see the dark side of his character, but the film saw this other, other uh, these other aspects and he was really, really surprised by that. <laughs> is there maybe a possibility to make another movie with him or is he completely absorbed in this Hollywood universe right now? I don't know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule it out. I, w uh, I wouldn't rule it out. And then, of course, I made Archipelago with him and, and uh, I was, yeah, I remember thinking after finishing... Um, making unrelated that there was sort of unfinished business with Tom in terms of other roles and, yeah. and, and, and at first actually when I finished unrelated I thought well maybe there's there's unrelated uh, sort of a few years on um, so uh, so Tom uh, yes yeah, so he, he was really uh, oh well I'm going back a tiny bit actually maybe is that a good idea shall I just go back a little bit on what I was saying yeah yeah I'd say yeah so. yeah Uh, so Tom, when he saw uh, Unrelated, uh, was um, really surprised by it. It was a much darker film uh, than what he was uh, expecting and the, than what he thought he was participating in. He hadn't seen the dark sides of his character so much when we were filming. And uh, so it was interesting. I think it was for him the first experience of being in a film acting in a film and the experience of the shoot and then what this what the finished film might be um and uh anyway i i we finished that film and i thought oh i'm really still interested in that character of oakley maybe i'll do something 
when Oakley's a bit older. But instead of that, I went on to make Archipelago, where it was a very different character from Oakley. Yeah. Um, Edward is is like almost the sort of polar opposite to the character of Oakley and uh, much more sensitive, much more aware, uh, much more of a sort of conscience. Uh, so anyway, it was interesting. I mean, and it shows how incredibly versatile Tom is. Yeah. So what fascinated me the most with Unrelated is maybe that it already radiates an incredible confidence in a way for me. So especially how subtle you approach the main character, Anna, who in the film flees to friends in Tuscany because her relationship has fallen apart. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you came up with the idea for the film and what thoughts you had about the protagonist and her depiction? Because it's really subtle and I think... She's never, not so many times, really isolated as a single person. It's always in connection with other persons that we get to know her better and get to know her character and her feelings. Yeah, well, it's quite challenging to remember exactly what inspired me. But I was talking earlier about being very much the outsider in my family. And so this idea of a woman who is uh, not part of a group or, 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 or gets... Um, ostracized in a way from from a group I, I, I sort of quite terrifying in a way I, I mean I can't remember precisely but uh, I had been uh, on holiday uh, with some friends and I'd observed this 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 generational divide the of the young people well in the film it's the young and the olds and 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 just these different generations and how sometimes I'd, I'd had the feeling myself of wanting to be with the younger people because they were having a lot more fun <laughs> and I thought well what if I had a character who 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 wanted to be part of the young group um, who'd maybe never had a sort of rebellious teenager time uh, themselves and so was trying to to relive live or not even relive but try and live some life that they hadn't had um, and then how there's a certain point where she gets uh, she's outside of both groups of the old and the young um, but this 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 idea of belonging or not belonging and how much how important that is sometimes to have a feel of belonging um, so it was exploring all those ideas and then the idea of someone, again, who is sort of reliving this youth that they never had in a way, um, but also uh, doesn't have children of their own. And, and yeah, all these themes were, were, were really important at that at that time. And I remember I was watching, uh, well, I always watch a lot of Rossellini because I really like Roberto Rossellini's films. One of my favorite films is Viaggio in Italia. But um, I remember I was reading, I tend to read a lot about filmmakers, yeah. um, sometimes more than even watching their films. I'm just always fascinated with uh, what, you know, how, how a filmmaker describes how, how they work. And Rossellini talked about um, taking inspiration from something happening in, a, in, a, in, a, in the sort of present moment and, and how he... He often had a desire to to express that thing that he was experiencing right there in 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 in, in the present moment. So that uh, I found, yeah, and I found that in a way that's coloured a lot of how I work and 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 what I work on and the stories I work on. They're usually something that it, about something that is preoccupying me at the time. 
So maybe this is again a bit of a stretch, but um, when I watched um, Archipelago the the second time, I had to think of the films of James Ivory and or discovered traces to well-known English costume melodramas in some way. So I see your expression. You don't like that that connection. But for example, with the nature or the dinner scenes or the arrival and the departure, there were some moments which I thought are like a modern version of some some moments or... or or scenes which I've seen before in some way. Um, can you relate in any way to that or not? Yeah, well, it, it maybe it depends which films you're talking about because, yeah, I made a face because I'm not very keen on uh, uh, the, the, the Merchant Ivory films. And when I was a student, I'd make fun of them and we'd call them heritage films. And Why do you don't like it? Uh, because they felt uh, a little bit uh, exaggerated and sometimes cartoon-like and not real. They didn't have the, the, the this uh, feeling of, yeah, they just felt invented and, and too romantic, I think. Romanticized a certain kind of uh, idyllic uh, life. Um, just very, yeah, yeah, very divorced from anything that's sort of tactile or, 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 or real. Um, although I make an exception for Remains of the Day. Uh, that is a very beautiful film, and I think that's a lot because of um, Ishiguro, who, who wrote the book yeah. on which the film is based. And that, uh, yeah, I feel that that uh, that is a, is uh, has has uh, truth in it and, and is very, very moving, very sad film. Yeah, maybe it's only like parts, like scenes or something, which I saw in it, and then in your style it's more a restrictive style which is applied to that it's more in the present and also with the omissions for example like the love stories with you are always not like told in the classic way and very open so maybe it's a bit of yeah. a transformation of some of those aspects but yeah, yeah 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 well maybe i have to force myself to watch some of those films again because i definitely in my in my 20s at film school you know myself and some of my contemporaries would make fun of those films and we'd always always say you know we'll never make anything like that you know, not, <laughs> okay not. so it, then it's not a good connection <laughs> but however i might be horrified if i watched some of them again i mean remains of the day like i say I, that is except an exception um but uh, i haven't watched i mean i think of the film morris um mm -hmm. room with of the view Grand, uh, yeah room of the view i would hate to have any connection with but you know who who knows anyway uh it's uh, and maybe it's the more modern the call me by your name uh no, no i mean i'm not not uh criticizing that but it it, it uh, i feel it's uh yeah it's it's a different story that uh lucas telling there and yeah he it does he is tells it very beautifully I don't really put that in the Merchant Ivory school and I think he'd be horrified to be part of the Merchant <laughs> Ivory school well except uh, of course I, I'm forgetting that it's written by uh, it, James it's, Ivory yeah, it's yeah. written by Ivory yeah so but yeah I, I also didn't think about that movie maybe in, in that connection so yeah yeah. Um, we've already talked about the importance of locations in your films, right? This becomes particularly clear in exhibition, I think, in which a couple drifts apart in a modernist house. There I found it quite interesting that the static camera is particularly striking here and the house is only ever shown in fragments in some way, right? We only see it as a whole in the form of a birthday cake, if I remember it correctly. 
So what of the relationship between the two is conveyed through the camera and the shots in the house, you know? The yes, the yeah. drifting apart and stuff like this because you never see the whole in a, in no. a way. And I thought first, it's like such an interesting house. A normal director maybe would have shown it at the beginning with the front shot, the whole house or maybe whole rooms. It's always fragmented in a way. Y yeah. Well, well, not to take away any mystery from the film, there was <laughs> there was, <laughs> there was a reason uh, uh, why not to show it, uh, you know, have a wide shot of the house and see where it was positioned in the street. And that was because the, um, the architect and his wife who lived there um, who built the house, designed the house and, and, and lived there, um, they, they were very private people and didn't want uh, the house to be seen, to be, you know, if someone saw the film and, and, and you know, then they might go and visit the house. Uh, so so that was quite a uh, that was a very conscious thing of not showing it in its entirety like that, but but then showing it uh, as the cake, uh, <laughs> which which I like anyway. So I didn't mind that restriction, and in fact I think that restriction gave the the film it was a gift to the film in a way. Sometimes like the scaffolding, you know, ends up being a being a gift if you see it in the right way. So the idea of this fragmentation, I think, gave a sense of a house of dreams, uh, it, it not not sort of solidifying it in a street, in a particular place, in a particular place in London. So it, it makes it almost, a, yeah, a house of, of, of the imagination, which I was really interested in those ideas. And that book, um, Poetics of Space by Gaston Bachelard, which had a big influence over over my ideas for the film. And, and, and then also, um, looking at the work of Louise Bourgeois and her 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 sort of woman as a house uh, paintings, you know, a lot of uh, the, the the sort of woman as a as a, as a yeah as a, as a space as um, uh, as a home or within the home, yeah, just all the ideas of home and body and and so that fragmentation that we we had to do out of necessity, yes, became part of the style of the film. And does it mirror in some way the relationship of the protagonists or? Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I, it's a strange thing because I don't watch my films after I finish them. So I haven't seen exhibition <laughs> since I finished it. And I'm surprised whenever I get a glimpse of one of the films, because sometimes I'm asked to show a clip of something. or So I'll, I'll see the clip and then I'll think, wow, I've forgotten that moment is in the film. Because for me, my memory of the film is editing it. And then there's so many more scenes in the film that end up in the finished thing. Yeah. It, it, it's then uh, a bit of a muddle in a way, but uh, but de definitely the 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 idea of the house, and then what D, uh, the wife uh, played by Viv Albertine, is uh, you know what she's going through psychologically. Yes, all these ideas of of psychology and home and and like I say, this book Poetics of Space was uh, very very interesting thinking of the psychology of space. Um, so now maybe um, for the final part, go go to the souvenir and the souvenir part two, of course. Is it true that the that both films were planned from the beginning as a two-part film? What are the considera considerations behind this? Uh, they were it, it was written as as two two parts um, as two films. I mean, one, it's one story, uh, I think, but it's um, it's sort of two sides of the same story somehow. And uh, I intended to shoot both parts together, but uh, we weren't able to raise the money 
to shoot them in one go. And so the producers said, or the financiers said, well, you know, make the first part first and then, and then um, you know, um, then um, we'll, you know, then you'll get the chance to make the second one. But of course, I was really worried about that uh, because I thought if I make the first one, and then uh, you know it doesn't go down well or or doesn't do well. Um, then I you know don't get the chance of the second one. And for me, uh, I, I don't. The, what part one is not finished without part two. They have to exist together. Well, it's not even they have to exist together, but they have to. You have to see this other side of the story. Um, so I was that was uh, a bit nerve wracking actually because I, I really thought you know it's so hard hard to. Uh, make a film and get the finance for a film. And I thought, well, this is a trick, you know. <laughs> They're letting me make the first one, but I'll never get to make the second one. But anyway, I did. So that's... Um, and and I planned uh, to make them in two parts. Even in 1988, I'd written some uh, notes in a, in a diary, um, which in, in this diary, in this notebook, I, I said, you know, the, the, these two films, part one... Is, a, is this relationship, and I've described a little bit the relationship of Julian Anthony from part one, and part two is processing the end of this relationship. And so I was very clear in 1988, and this was just as I was finishing film school uh, before I went into television, and this was one of these ideas that I was never going to get off the ground because, you know, I was, how is a, someone in their 20s going to get to make two films like that? But I, But I had these ideas... And then, and then I forgot about it until 2015, and then in 2015, um, uh, I thought, oh, this is time to make this story, tell this story. Is it a closed story for you, or could you imagine telling the story even further and making an autobiographically influenced cycle of films together with Honor, as François Truffaut did with Antoine Duanel? Uh, I mean, I could, and it appeals to me the idea. I'd have to wait a while for Honor to grow <laughs> up, obviously. I mean, she's... Well, she was 19 when we shot the first one, and now she's 23. So maybe I don't have to wait too long but, <laughs> for the next one, but uh, yeah. Um, was making the film also a cathartic experience for you? Uh, it's always hard to uh, to know that. I, I, I think the most cathartic part of the process is when I'm when I was writing writing it uh, because that's when I dig the deepest in a way in terms of the experience I had uh, the experience of a relationship I had on which the souvenir is based uh, that's when I'm really thinking about that and, and, and it's the most personal point of the filmmaking in a way and then once I start casting and working with my collaborators everything sort of is more kind of out, outward facing um, and then, and then, by the time the film's finished, I think the the moment of the, there is no moment of catharsis then. But I mean, it, 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 I think the 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 most tears were shed during the writing of the film, and and it was where I realised I hadn't maybe myself fully processed this uh, relationship I had. But but then by the time we're shooting, that, that, I think that sort of moment's passed. Not that it's a linear thing, actually. And there were moments during the, the making of the shooting of the film where I was quite surprised by feeling quite emotional about certain aspects. And the, and the recreation of my apartment um, in both parts uh, was a very strange experience. And maybe there was something cathartic in there about being reconstructing this part of my life 
um, and and it felt very accurate to the place that I that I lived in that one could actually make sort of remake this place that doesn't exist anymore and and for it then I mean the strange thing and I'm not even not sure I really like this but um, my memories of this place that I lived in have been partially replaced by images from the film <laughs> so it's it's confusing if I see a still from the film without the characters if I just see a still of the apartment there's a moment where I'm taken aback is that something that you reflect in the final sequence of the second movie uh, a bit a little bit a little, a little bit, bit because little bit. there is yeah. like a mixing of the of the levels in a way yeah. that I think that could also relate to memory yes yes but also in in um, the character of Julie in part two visiting her set yeah. I'm not, again I'm not saying too much to give things away but when she visits her set that she's created she's in a way going through a similar thing to what I went through yeah because she's also at some point she's really emotional I think especially when she's talking with the actors about their roles right yes it's always a difficult moment sometimes for her to talk about that with the with the actors yes yes yeah. yes 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 and but also before she starts shooting her film when she's visiting her set and what's going on through her mind, which we don't hear, but we can imagine. Yeah. So compared to the souvenir, I was surprised when in part two suddenly the camera moved more, extra diegetic music is heard, and the self-reflexive and auto-thematic once again comes more into focus. You once said that you find yourself more in your younger films than in the first feature films. Does that show in the acting out of these aspects? Uh... uh I don't know. Did I say that? <laughs> you said that in the you said that in the film podium interview in the magazine. You right, said right. That the first movies you made, the first feature films, yes. were still a bit with the restrictions you had from television in a way, and that you felt more freely after that. Yes, yes, yes. It's true, and I but I don't know how much closer these films now <laughs> have got to me because I feel even with these films, even with the souvenir being so much. Uh, a personal project I'm not sure in the end with all the collaborators all the interventions that happen when you make a film with a large group of people uh, it, it, it's it, yes it means it, it, it there's a point where it becomes quite distant from 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 my own experience I get occasional flashes of uh, connection to my past but mostly it's something it's it, it, it's something Yeah, it, it it goes out to other people, and actually, this is a a good reason why I don't watch the films again after I finish making them because I, I, I it's sort of like revisiting the past. I can't I can't really do that. Mm -hmm. So maybe also in this connection, how many scenes are inspired by actual moments from your career? Patrick, who shoots a musical in part two and clashes with his colleagues, for example, is a really ambivalent character in a way for me, but he's not. Um, depicted like this uh, in the movie is he based on a real person or he's not based on uh, on one person he's he's uh, the, the he's a uh, how would you say it a sort of amalgam of different people of different yeah. directors some directors that I've never met that I've just seen interviews of can you name them uh no <laughs> you can imagine them I mean often I mean I I had a, a lot of fun uh, with Richard who, pl who plays Patrick looking at interviews of directors um, is there a Swiss director also in it the, a Swiss French director the, 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 well he, the, we looked at him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we looked at a lot of interviews 
and uh, 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 and particularly from that time, actually, from from the from the nineteen eighties, and yeah, directors uh, they were all male. I have to say, actually, I'm trying to think there weren't any female directors <laughs> we looked at. Actually, they were all male, all very confident, all uh, sometimes difficult or you know wouldn't answer questions directly like I'm doing now <laughs> uh, uh, well it was just really I we became really fascinated in these characters all, all these people um, and uh, in fact there's one interview that I watched uh, it was an interview taking place at uh, the Locarno Film Festival anyway there's something in that interview that I think I'm going to put uh, in another film Oh, interesting. Uh, okay. So I, I, yeah, it's it's again this fascination with watching people, watching behavior, and uh, and Richard, uh, not forgetting uh, Richard Ayoade is a director himself. So of course, you know, a big influence mm-hmm. is his own, uh, you know, his own way of working, his own way of expressing himself. So it wasn't just all taken taken from the outside. He was taking a lot from inside himself and myself too, because as I said. In my twenties at film school, um, I had these ambas- ambitious ideas, and uh, and I was uh, much more arrogant then. Uh, um, and so, you know, I'm t- taking some of my own arrogance as a filmmaker and assumptions, and uh, so it was. Yeah, it, it's a, it's all a sort of puzzle in a way. So, how he sticks to his idea—that's something really important, also for you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, yes, and 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 the thing about Patrick is that he he's really uh, has the, the one of the few people in both films to have any words of wisdom. I mean, he he really he 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 gives something to Julie. He encourages her to make her film, the her memorial, yeah. and uh, and and tells her the truth about Anthony. Yeah. So maybe that's really also in connection with the next question, because Patrick says in the movie about filmmaking, avoid the temptation to be obvious, right? So is this your guiding principle for your movies? Uh, because he says that's the most important thing. Yeah, I, right? I, I think it probably is. That th- those are his words, actually, not mine. But ah. I, I uh, but I, 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 I do believe in that. I don't think I'm always uh, succeed in that, but I, 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 I try. Yeah. Yeah. So the final sequence is a cinematic fever dream in the best sense, with countless references. Why this drum beat at the end, which stands out somewhat from the rest of the film? Ah, you mean the moment of uh, yeah, the, 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 the dream sequence. The train. Uh, or you once said it's a film dream sequence in some way, right? Right, right. But when you say drum beat, I'm thinking of a specific moment in the ah, film. Ah, sorry, no, but I you, meant the you whole, mean at the whole yeah. thing because there, yeah, there is a particularly intense. It's like it's a really long drum beat. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I like it being described like that. I just uh, wanted to be sure I understood. Um, well, it was uh, uh, actually not an idea I had. Uh, when I first wrote um, the scenario for part two, but it came about after making the first part. It was one of the advantages to not shooting them the films back to back, actually. Yeah. So I got so many new ideas in in from one to the other. And one of the main things I got was this idea of making this film or showing this film of Julie's, but it not being her actual film. It's not the film we see her shoot. It's coming from inside her head. That's how I see it anyway. And so that, uh, but it was also, I saw part two as a film about putting on a show in that very tr- tradition of Hollywood musicals, putting on a show, and then often you'd see the show itself, 
So that's what really excited me about that. So it's like uh, in the bandwagon, um, the girl hunt ballet, or or in New York, New York, the happy ending sequence. It or was, all the Busby Berkeley movies. Yes. Yeah. 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 So it it was very much following. I felt it was following that tradition, and 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 so it was important to see this work in its entirety. Yeah. So I don't think we're spoiling anything, but the ending of part two, when you say cut on the movie set, is one of the most beautiful endings I've seen in a long time, really. So was that ending clear from the beginning, or how did that develop? No, no. That uh, it developed at first. Uh, I don't like I'm telling all the behind the scenes uh, <laughs> ideas. <laughs> It's terribly demystifying. <laughs> uh, but I um, I hadn't planned to see the crew at the end. Uh, uh, when I was first thinking about it, um, and yeah, that idea uh, of the crew and saying cut uh, came about just a few days before we shot that scene. In fact, I realized that it it, it had to be more than just seeing the set uh, in this aircraft hangar. I wanted to I, I want I wanted to come back and see see us all, or or just see the yeah uh, the crew. So hopefully we don't have to take the cut at the end too seriously. What can we expect from you next? Uh, you told us already about yeah. The, well, I the don't know if I did you... really say cut in that case. It's uh, <laughs> well, it's a very different film, but there are some uh, some connections. It's definitely not part three, um, <laughs> but it's not a completely closed door either. Um, but it's very in a very different register. It's. Uh, It's a uh, sort of in one way it's a it's a haunted house film, um, but it's uh, yeah it goes to goes into other territory which I won't give away. And it's also again with Tilda Swinton, right? It's with Tilda Swinton exactly. Okay. Yeah, and it's called The Eternal Daughter. Ah, so we're looking forward to that one. Thank you very very much for that interesting talk, Trina. Oh, thank you, thank you, Marius.